Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien, with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. again. My pleasure. Sorry for being uh, three minutes late. I thought there was another Zoom call for some reason, then it ended. So I was kind of like, I don't know what happened. But then you were waiting in this one. So I'm like, oh, I better get in. Yeah, I've created a Zoom link. But in my Zoom link, you said, here's the link to your Zoom link. So I've been sitting over here waiting on this one. So many, so many Zoom links. You're you're very, very busy doing a lot (laughs) of interviews. Do you like doing all of these interviews? No. (laughs) I really like just being by myself, Um, spending time with the cats. This this has been uh, necessary as part of getting the mission out there, but it's not my fork. No. I mean, I feel like it's cool getting to know people a little bit, you know, they're good conversationalists. That kind of shocks me because I was like looking at the uh, the calendar and everything, and I'm like, she's she's pretty booked up for the rest of the month. Like, there's a lot going on, and you don't like it. That's interesting. It was funny. My husband and I were just coming back from another interview this morning, and we were discussing how when you're trying to get your point of view across to another person, and he said, "Well, you know, it's not like a conversation that you would have between friends where you're just sitting around talking." And I'm like. I would never just be sitting around talking to anybody. Right. <laughs> I don't understand that. <laughs> Do you think you're extroverted or introverted in that sense then? Oh, definitely introverted. Really? It's weird. I'm the same way. I grew up the same way. And then I became a talk show host. It's, it's funny how that turned out. It's so ironic. I'm still very much an introvert. You know, like I will not talk unless I'm talked to. 
but at the same time, I, I reach out to all of these people to just because I'm curious, you know, like reaching out to you again. I'm glad we were able to set this up uh, on the topic of conversation, though. Like you, you guys have been doing that conversation game the past three days. Conversation game. Yeah, it, it was like a three day event that I, that I heard you guys were doing. It was like the conversation game on what was it on on watch or something. It's the conservation game, not the conversation game. <laughs> I'm all about the conservation game. And it is airing the 14th, 15th, and 16th. And then tonight, we're going to have two Zoom meetings on that, one at 8 p.m. and one at 11 p.m. for everybody who bought a ticket and watched to come in and talk to me and the uh, producer and the star of the show, which is Tim Harrison. Wow. So now that you caught me for not really doing my homework on that and kind of messing that up, what was uh, kind of... The idea about it, are you enjoying that? Because I feel like that that's way more up your alley as opposed to a conversation game. I yes. <laughs> Although I do think that we come here to learn the lessons that we need to learn in yeah. each lifetime. And so for introverts, I think we're being uh, forced into these situations where we have to talk to people and have to <laughs> put ourselves out there. So I see that you are learning the same lessons I am. Oh, my goodness. So for the conservation game, that was actually a film we worked on for five years same amount of time that we were working with the producers of Tiger King. And The Conservation Game was a film by Mike Weber, and the star of it is Tim Harrison. I only play a very small role. My husband and I are in there very briefly. But it's talking about how this whole problem in the United States started with big cats. You know, we all know that there's, now we all know, that there's a big problem with there being so many lions and tigers and leopards in people's backyards and basements. But if you think about how did that ever get started, well, what caused that? And what caused that was people would see these faux conservationists like Jack Hanna or Dave Salmoni or the Irwins or Boone Smith going on to the talk shows and taking cute, cuddly baby tigers and lions and snow leopards. And the whole time that they're passing these cute babies around and the Talk show hosts are laughing and having fun, and everybody's just fawning all over the person who brought this cub. They're saying, oh, you know, don't do this at home. These animals belong in the wild, and they came from this really famous zoo, and they're going to go back to this really famous zoo. And turns out that was all a lie. They were dealing with these same backyard breeders that you see in Tiger King, and as soon as they were done dumping the cat onto the host's lap at the end of the thing, they go back to whatever hellhole they came from. And so that's what the conservation game is about. It was an undercover for five years investigating all of these horrific situations that caused people to see that and think, I want to have a tiger. I want to be that cool guy that has a cub on a leash. And that's, you know, it just, it created this industry that will pander to the public's desire to have something that they should never be allowed to have. Mm, I, that, that's very interesting. I mean, that's kind of what the uh, the whole basis is about cage fight, too, right? Like you guys are going under undercover in a sense, under investigation, trying to figure out all of these different scams, right? Right, and you know we 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 know that this stuff is happening. Like you know, we can do the math if you have thirty cubs born at your facility this summer for your pay-to-play trade, but your census only goes up by two cats, then we know there's a bunch of missing cats. And so this has been a matter of trying to figure out, and the conservation game did the same thing. It was looking for all of these missing cats. You know, where did those cats end up? 
And so both Cage Fight and the Conservation Game actually take the viewer along with them as we learn this is what really happened to these animals. Or in some cases, we can't find these animals anywhere and nobody cares. The people who were telling you they cared so much about conservation don't care what happened to those animals. I feel like it's very tough to tell who cares and who doesn't, especially now that you're involved in the media game. Because even with, you know, Cage Fight and then the conservation game, like, did they come to you with both of those? Because I feel like these were more things that you were passionate about as opposed to, you know, Tiger King kind of being manipulated into that game and that documentary coming out in the way that you didn't expect it to come out. But was this something more, like, they, they pitched it to you and it was more up your alley, like, this is definitely something I would want to pursue? Yeah, I mean, all of them pitched us. We don't go out looking for film crews or production companies or any of that. It's always been people coming to us. And for years, people have come to us saying, we want to you know, cover the work that you do at the sanctuary and the rescues and the rehab and release and all of that kind of stuff. And then when they would get to the networks, the networks would say, oh, she's such a controversial character. You know, she doesn't like zoos. She doesn't think these cats belong in cages. And now people probably are, you know, they, they've come along to that kind of thinking. And so now I'm not so controversial as I was 20, 30 years ago. It's, it's interesting, too, because you're, like, very, very good at promoting and marketing what you had obviously been doing your entire life, especially over the past 10 years when social media comes out and the Internet and everything, building your website. But at the same time, when it comes to actual, like, camera footage and obviously now you get involved in everybody knowing who you are and, you know, your story, whether, you know, the, the, the tall lies, the truths to it as well. Like, it, it's very interesting that, like, this concept of, you know, doing interviews and everything that you're just not interested in, it's kind of, like, all intertwined in today's world. It's, like, something you have to do. It is. And, you know, from the very, as soon as video cameras were, you know, something that we could use around the sanctuary, I thought this is the way we get our message out about why these cats don't belong in cages. We show these amazing animals who all have these wonderful personalities and people get to know their personalities. And all of a sudden you're like, it's so wrong that they're in jail. And my intent had always been to create um, these heroes out of the people who work with the cats. And so you'll notice in almost all of the footage, our decades of footage that we have of the sanctuary, there's hardly ever me in a film. <laughs> I, you know, I am The only time you ever see me in a film is when I'm doing the daily briefings, which are not even on our main channel, where I'm talking about all the work that our volunteers did that day. And so I wanted those people to be the ones that got the spotlight, got the attention, because I didn't want to be in that role. I just wanted to make sure that the cats got their voice out there by using all of the great things that go on at the sanctuary. And we even had one of our previous operations managers became the Animal Planet Hero of the Year. And I was like, yes, we finally managed to accomplish this. And, you know, we had made him to look like such a huge hero. And then he decided he wanted to go off and do films on his own and not work at the sanctuary. And so mm. we ended up hiring somebody else who did an amazing job. And yesterday she did hero's work on a bobcat rescue that we just did um, the day before. So it's been weird. And I don't like being the subject of the footage and would much rather it be on the people who work here and do the amazing hands-on work with the cats. So how has business been since the last time we talked? Has it been overall a progressive year for you guys or have you taken some steps back when it comes to big cat rescue and everything else going on? 
we had to close our gates on March the 15th of 2020 because of COVID. And then on March 20th was when Tiger King came out. And so we have not been able to reopen and that's costing us over a million dollars a year in the tour revenue. And so our donations have stayed pretty close to the same. 20, 2019 to 2020 were pretty much even with each other. I think we're a little bit down right now from either of those years, but the year's not over yet. So it could come back. It you know, takes one large donor to make that difference. Mm, I mean, that, that's unfortunate, but I know like you've been doing this again, like this is your passion. This is what you do. Uh, I feel also like even though it wasn't exactly what you thought it was going to be, given the success of Tiger King as well as Cage Fight Out Now and all of, again, back to the media appearances and everything kind of blowing up, it's been able to, in a sense, not to talk money terms, but it, it, I feel like that's kind of been a good thing during this time for you guys. No, about that. Really? Um, well, yeah, I hear a lot of people say that the publicity has really helped us get our message out there. And yet the publicity was all so negative that it didn't, you know, if, if somebody were saying all those kinds of things about you that they're saying about me, does that help you get anything done in your life? <laughs> no, you just spend all of your time having to defend yourself against false allegations and trying to keep reminding people there's something bigger here than worrying about my life. We're going to lose the tiger in the wild in the next five years if we don't stop breeding them for life in cages. And that's been really difficult to get the media to care about. I feel like it's a double-edged sword for you, too, because if you don't face it head-on, people are just like, oh, she's going to be quiet about this stuff, which some people might tell you, like, it's better to just turn it off, stay away from it. But at the same time, like, it's, a, it's kind of a lose-lose, which I definitely feel for you in that sense, sympathize with that, and the fact that there's really not a winning scenario for you when it comes to that. Actually, our attorney just yesterday in court said that it's kind of the case of heads I win, tails you lose, mm-hmm. going up against the huge powerhouse like Netflix and all of them. Mm-hmm. I really like, and especially now with the the second one coming out, you're not in that, right? Like there's no. Well, that's why we filed a lawsuit because they were going around after Tiger King became this huge runaway hit. They went out to the people who had been in it trying to get them to sign new release forms. And what I was hearing from other people was that in addition to signing new release forms, what they were requiring in these new ones were you can't talk to anybody but us. And I thought, you know, that is just so wrong. If you're a documentary maker, which I don't believe they are, but I did when I was working with them because I didn't know what they were going to do. But if you're a documentary um, creator, you don't want to hide the truth from people. You you don't want to to um, restrain the people who are telling you that story from being able to ever talk about that story to anyone but you because... I think what they did was, or what they were planning to do was to manipulate that message like they did in Tiger King 1. So when they contacted me, I said, lose my number. And I thought that was the end of it until the trailer came out and I see that I'm in it. And I'm like, oh, heck no. And so that's why we had to file the lawsuit. I mean, they told you it was a different, like for a different project initially, and that's what you agreed to. And then they manipulated it and became Tiger King, this huge Netflix series uh, about, you know, three big people, like, and especially like with your uh, situation, almost all lies, you know? So like, that's definitely something that you can't trust. And then they come back and ask for permission to shoot another one. Like, what were they expecting? 
they said, we want to clear the air. And I was like, <gasps> how stupid do I look? <laughs> what? Don't answer that. Go back on everything that they made you out to be in the first one. I have no idea what they meant by that, but I don't trust them. Mm. How, how have, um, you know, obviously with business being, you know, not completely shut down, but you guys having to, you know, adapt given the times in the last 18 months or so and all of this happening. Now you having to, again, you know, get the word out there via interviews like this. Uh, what do you guys do, uh, you know, you know, personally to kind of like kind of take the ease off? Like what, what are some hobbies you guys are doing? Like what's going on, you know, outside of business? You know, I just did something that I hadn't done since I moved here. I bought this house that I live on in the eighties, I think. And I've moved in and out of it because I lived at the sanctuary for a while. And then I came back to this house. We call it the island because it's on five acres and it's surrounded by a creek. But it was a house that was built in the 70s. And it was in the same condition that it was in in the 70s. I hadn't done anything on the outside of this house. And on the inside, I had um, the first thing I did when I moved in was I tore out all the carpet and put in tile because I'm allergic to <laughs> allergic to cats and dust. And so it had to be something I could keep mopped and clean. And so um, inside, I'd hardly done anything either. So anyway, um, in the last year, I just went on a tear and I actually painted the house and I did a lot of work outside in the yard on the landscaping and just tried to make it something where every day when I came home, I was happy to see the house and happy to be here because there's just been so much unhappiness for the last couple of years. And it's worked. It's painted seafoam green. It's very cheerful. looks like something right out of uh, the Bahamas. Well, that's fun. Right when you said that, like, yeah, I like I did something I've never done before in this house, moved in in the 80s. I'm like, oh, my God, that's that's 40 years. What hasn't she done? I literally... (laughs) everything (laughs) i cleaned my car for the first time in months the other day and i'm like oh my god i feel like a completely new person like i don't know why i didn't do this months before that's that's so funny do you have you guys watch any sports or anything like that do you guys have any interest in any of that stuff no i'm you know we work seven days a week we just celebrated our 19th um anniversary together howie and i did and he said, do you want to go over to the beach? And I was like, you know what? I just want to stay home and piddle around in the yard. So that's been the extent of our doing anything. Outside of war, obviously, being an entrepreneur is just can be hellacious at times, especially in the early years. But uh, have you guys picked up any new hobbies slash talents in the last 18 months? Like, have you tried, you know, picking up a guitar, trying to play that, you know, doing odd things that you've never done before? You know, I always think it's funny when people say, oh, it must be wonderful to work for yourself. And it's like, are you kidding? I'm a slave master. <laughs> I'm the worst person in the world for me to work for. But um, that's typically true of entrepreneurs. They push themselves harder than they'd ever push anybody else. No, I didn't take up any hobbies. You know, they tried to teach me how to dance on Dancing with the Stars, but that was a lost cause. So no, no hobbies. Again, something you didn't want to do, Dancing with the Stars? I feel like if I was approached with Dancing with the Stars, I'd be like, uh, I guess, like, it would be good. Like, it'd be a cool story to tell one day, but at the same time, like, I don't want to dance. That seems really difficult, too, to train. 
It was. It was a lot of work. And I mean, I was bleeding and had blisters all over my feet from it because every hour that I wasn't doing some kind of media thing, I was practicing because the longer I could stay on the show, the more we could talk about cats every week. And so I was determined to stay in it. And I learned by the third show that they just didn't have what it took. I feel like you have to be a professional to do that. And I feel like those people are so strict about what they do too. Like, did that, did anybody yell at you in a, in a way or try and like discipline you to be a better dancer while you were doing it? Oh gosh, no, they were amazing. And they really are athletes. Those, those pros that they pair you up with, they are freaking amazing. Absolutely amazing. So has there been anything since the whole Tiger King blow up that you've enjoyed on the media side when it comes to doing, I mean, obviously talk shows are probably so, you know, draining at this point but when it comes to like dancing with the stars or other projects that you've been able to be a part of have you enjoyed any of it or has it all just been like all right let's just get this out of here let's get this out of the way yeah you know I, I've enjoyed the fact that Carol Baskin's cage fight is getting the word out there as far as what these places are really like and that people are able to see for themselves what it is like but as far as like being the person on camera I, I don't enjoy that and it, it's a lot of work. I mean, for that two hours that we put out, I bet we filmed for a hundred. And there's, and that's the other part of it. You film so much amazing stuff, and then you've got to condense it down to a two-hour piece. And there was so much stuff on the cutting room floor that's like this could be a show all in of itself. And so um, it was nice to be able to gather all of that. I don't know if any if any of it will ever be seen, but it was pretty amazing. And, you know, the nice thing about that, too, is a big part of what we do is gather evidence for law enforcement because they don't do undercover work and they don't, they can't catch these people. They don't work on weekends or at night. So these people know if you're going to do something illegal, do it on weekends or do it at night. And so by us gathering that information and having something that we can put with a complaint it gives us, you know, the power to say, you know, this is going on and you need to do something about it. Was it a much better um, overall vibe when it came to working with, you know, the director and the writers and everything of getting that message out there as opposed to just being lied to and manipulated into thinking it was something else? In the five years that we were working with the producers of Tiger King, we thought we were working on a blackfish for big cats. So we were happy to meet with them and happy to do the filming and talk about the issues. The only thing that we thought was weird was that they wanted to talk about Don so much. And, you know, they said that the reason that they were doing that was because the animal abusers talk about it. The animal abusers can't talk about the issues. They can't, you know, if you say, well, why are you breeding all these tigers? They'll say it's for conservation. And then yeah. you say, so how many of these cats ever go back to the wild? Zero. <laughs> None of them are ever going back to the wild. And then it's like, well, where do all those cats go? Well, they can't talk about that either because they're either killing them or they're sending them to backyards and basements of people that don't know what they're doing. So they can't talk about any of the issues. They have to just deflect away to anything else that the media will run with. And so they said that that was why they were asking was we said, oh, you know, the bad guys are going to say this about you and you just need to put it to rest. That was not what they did with it. But we had no idea that they were doing that until it came out. Right. No, I mean, I, I remember talking to you about that a few months back and it just being like, I don't understand how they would even come back and ask for another appearance or even more footage. So did they use footage from the first one in the second one? And that's what's going on right now. 
Well, I don't know. We had to ask in our lawsuit to see the footage, and they refused to do it. And they said that it would take so many hours, you know, it was just going to be months for them to try and take the footage out that it just wouldn't be possible. So that tells me there's going to be a lot of that crap in there. And it, w- it was all filmed prior. It wasn't any filming after Tiger King came out because by then I knew what they were going to do. Uh, what, what, what do you think would be the, like, pitch-perfect project that you'd want to do and again like you don't like it i think we've established that but if you were to direct a documentary or a film about all this way the exact way that you would have wanted it to obviously with cage fight you're getting you know the word out there in the way you want it to but probably you know you know working with people can't ever be easy like if you had one exact thing where you had complete creative control over something what would you what message would you want to get out there and how would you want to film it It would be Cage Fight. It would just have a different array of stars. You know, I would be doing the kind of work that I typically do, which is at my computer. It's finding these people. It's taking the reports from the public and then assigning those out to the people in the field who are gathering that information. So that would be my perfect version of what Cage Fight would be. I'd never be on camera. I'd just be the the, um, voice behind the curtain. Right. I mean, that's what everybody wants to be, I feel like. Uh, But again, you have been an entrepreneur doing your thing for many, many years. And you've been through the trials and the tribulations and everything. Like you said before, like people must think it's awesome to work for yourself. Like you don't realize it's like not an overnight thing. Like you were, you know, a 20 year overnight success. Most entrepreneurs are right. Uh, Last thing I want to leave you with. I know we don't have a ton of time. Don't want to take too much of your time. Because uh, I know you're very busy with all of this stuff that you don't necessarily want to do, but do you um, do you remember those early years and like the early struggles? And do you remember you know me as a young kid, as a young entrepreneur, going through the trials and the tribulations, you know, trying to build this thing? What what do you remember uh, distinctively about being a young entrepreneur and those, again, trials, tribulations, those struggling times where you thought, like, maybe I should pursue something else and get a nine-to-five job. (laughs) My mother always said I should work for the post office because I love to walk and I love to be outside. Um, (laughs) But what I remember from that time was I started with so little. We started our real estate business with $2,000 buying a property actually buying a mortgage and foreclosing on the mortgage. And when we did that, we made so much money off of it. We were like, dang, we need to do this again. And so what I had done was bought a delinquent mortgage from a bank. So I started going around to all of the banks and asking them if they had people who weren't paying their mortgages that we could buy at a discount. And then we could go work with the owners and say, look, I bought this for less than what you owed. And so we can bring your payments down. We can bring your payoff down to something more affordable for you. And then if they still wouldn't pay or sometimes people were just already gone, then we would go ahead and foreclose and sell it to somebody else. Well, going to these places, I had a $100 Impala that I drove. And this thing was as big as a freaking boat. It was like, you know, a 1970s style Impala. And gas guzzler, oh man. And I can remember scraping together pennies to be able to put gas in my tank. And then I'd go to the bank and I'd park all the way around back because I didn't want anybody to see that I got out of that junk heap. And now I'm going to come in here and ask if I can buy your mortgages. And so I was always really uh, self-conscious about how poor I was in the beginning. And that has stuck with me 
to the point where, you know, I, I recently went in and I was buying a piece of jewelry for my daughter's birthday and I was really, you know, struggling over the fact that it was $300 and, you know, I just don't buy nice jewelry. And so 300 for me and I got it for 60% off. So it was like, even at that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much to spend. And yet in the sanctuary, I have to raise between three and a half and $4 million every year to keep that thing going. And in my real estate business, of course, it's a huge enterprise, but I just never got over feeling poor. See, that's a great trait to have, though. You know, most people who uh, come into great fortune don't have that trait where, like, they get themselves into trouble. And then you're still looking at this like, I don't want to spend $10 at Subway for this sandwich. You know, like there's certain things you don't want to do. Did, did the real estate thing happen you know, kind of organically after? Because again, like the more you grow, the more you kind of evolve and have different interests. Was that something later on or was that hand in hand with what you were doing? Um, The real estate business, that started out when I was 19 or 20. Um, So I was coming out of, what was I doing at that time? I had worked at a gas station and then I had worked, oh, I had worked at Tampa Boat Mart and I remember going in and applying for this job and they had this computer that I kid you not, it took up like the whole wall back there back then. They were so gigantic and it had a manual. It looked like an old telephone book. It was so big and they bought this thing for their payroll. That was the only thing it was going to do was payroll for this little boat mart that had maybe six employees and nobody could operate the thing. And so they ran an ad in the paper and they asked, you know, anybody could come in and run this thing for them. And I, you know, I had a, I didn't even have a high school education. I left high school in the 10th grade, but I went in and I was like, absolutely. I can run that computer. And I said, and in addition to that, even though you're offering this amount of pay, what I want is this amount of pay. And I forget what it was, but you know, it was like double what they were offering. And I said, and what I'll do is I'll work for the lower amount for, I think it was like six weeks or something. And if at the end of six weeks, I haven't proven to you that I am worth the extra money, you can just let me go and hire somebody else. But if I have proven that I'm worth it, you have to pay me the double amount. And so she was like, whatever. And I don't think she ever thought I was going to figure out that computer or make it through the six weeks, but I did. And I was so proud of myself for getting that thing up and running and doing their payroll for them. But what it, in the negotiation for that, what I said is, if this is a nine-to-five job and these are the tasks that you want me to get done during that period of time, then what I want is the freedom to be able to do something else during this period of time. You know, like, um, I just want to get the work done and not be held to a schedule. And so that gave me the freedom to then go and start investing in real estate. And I would look at a hundred properties before I would even make a bid on three of them because there's just not that many good deals. You've got to look at a lot of junk to find something really worth doing and that I could afford. And so that gave me the freedom of having a job that was paying me a regular wage while I was able to build a real estate business. See, that's very interesting. Like what you said in there, you know, like leaving high school in 10th grade, like there's a lot of kids uh, who don't really have the entrepreneurial mindset who think like you got to get a diploma, you got to get a college degree, you got to get all of this, all of this jazz, you know, do you, do you think um, school is as important today as it was back then? Like, obviously, it's important to build relationships with people and develop good social and communicative skills, but I don't think it's necessarily important to have 
quote unquote, a degree, like you actually need hands-on experience and you know how to need to work. You need to know how to work with people in business. Yeah, I think the school system is definitely broken and probably everybody would agree with that. But I do think you're right. There are social skills and team building skills and things like that that you can't learn at home. You've got to be able to interact with other people, which was hard for me because I would much rather learn at home. Uh, But those are really key skills to learn. And then what I think is wrong with the... the, um, education system is it doesn't teach you how to do what you need to do to like be an adult like how to balance your checkbook or how to run a business or how to be a good employee maybe you're not an entrepreneurial type but there are definitely skills in being a good employee that earns their their place in life and none of that is taught and so I I if I were going to remake the entire system I'd teach people things that they actually needed to know instead of algebra and French and exactly. how to play a horn. <laughs> exactly. I had a math. It was like, I think geometry. I'm like, I'm not going to need to know any of this stuff. And he was just like, yeah, I know, but just do it. <laughs> like, really? That's what you're saying to me as a teacher in high school? That, that stinks. Uh, do you have any more uh, interviews today? Are you all booked? I do. <laughs> really? You have the rest of the day off? No, I do have interviews. In fact, uh, as soon as I hang up from here, I have a hundred grass carp that are arriving that I have to go release into our lake to deal with the hydrilla that has taken over our lake. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, I'll let you go then. Uh, I mean, thanks so much for coming on. You're a saint because I booked this before I even reached out to be like, oh, I should probably reach out to Carol again to see if she can actually do this or actually wants to do it, you know, because I just took the calendar invite. I'm like, she's open on the 16th. We'll see if she wants to do it again because I really <laughs> want to talk again. So you are a saint for, again, jumping on here with me without even agreeing to do it in the first place. So Well, thank you, Jack. <laughs> Sometimes stuff shows up on my calendar. I'm like, did I agree to this? I don't know if I agree to this. <laughs> I am so sorry. I'm glad we were able to catch up again, and hopefully, if you're up for it, we could do this again one day. I promise it won't be anytime soon. I'll I'll let you have a break, but uh, again, you're very busy, and I applaud you. Very inspiring uh, what you're doing during this time, continuing to do what you do with your passion. So uh, thank you so much again, and uh, I wish you the best moving forward. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.